Turn to John chapter 5. We're in a series that we've entitled The Gospel of John, looking at the story of Jesus told by Jesus' closest friend and acquaintance and associate, the Apostle John. It was said of the Apostle John, this is the disciple in whom Jesus loved. It doesn't mean he didn't love the other people in his life, but there was something. There was a connection that they had. And John puts paper to pen, and he begins to tell the story about his friend, but even more than that, his teacher, but even more than that, his savior. And he writes not to a certain group of people as the other gospel writers did. He didn't just write to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the Romans. He wrote that the world might know Jesus and believe. And so each of these storylines that he tells, each of these episodes that he gives is wanting to reinforce in the hearts and minds of the hearer that you will do yourself an eternal good by believing and trusting in this Jesus that has come to change us from the inside out. Now, the text tells us that he comes to a situation and a time where Jesus is going to do something awesome. Jesus, once again, is going to knock the socks off of a person who is struggling in life. He just did it with the official's son and their family, and they believed. But would you believe that Jesus is about to do something that should have made him Jerusalem's citizen of the year? He's about to heal a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. But what we're going to learn by the end of these 18 verses is that in doing something good, he only has anger, resentment, bitterness, and even wrath brought against him. This kind of episode and situation is what my grandma used to say, no good deed goes unpunished. You've heard that saying before if you've been in uh, the world for any amount of time. The idea there is that you could do something good, you could do something helpful, only to have a bad thing come back upon you. And maybe you've experienced that, where you've helped someone in need only to have that person or someone around challenge you, question you, uh, be angry or bitter about the nice things you did. To illustrate that, it wasn't too long ago I heard a news story. It took my breath away. The story went like this. There was a man who was at a restaurant, and he had cardiac arrest while eating a meal. He fell out of his chair onto the ground, gasping for air. As he did that, a man who never had met this man before jumped into action. A good Samaritan, he got on his hands and knees and began to pump and breathe life into this individual who now was lifeless on the ground. The ambulance drivers and the doctors said, without this good Samaritan, that man was as good as dead. You would have thought that the man would have gotten a parade. You would have thought that this man would have maybe handed this other guy who saved his life a check, maybe named his, one of his children after the guy, right? Would you believe that what the man received was nothing good at all? You see, in the process of saving this man's life, the man was a little more aggressive than he should have been, and he, had three, he caused three hairline fractures on the guy that was struggling to breathe. That man took him to court. No good deed goes unpunished. Jesus is going to heal a man, and the Pharisees say, it is time for us to kill this Jesus. 
Now, it's easy as pastors to try to put together a creative outline, to put everything in one heading, but sometimes gospel narratives don't work that way. And John makes it a little difficult for the preachers today in this passage because what we've got is we've got like three episodes going on. Episode number one, we've got Jesus and the person that he's about to heal. Then we have the person that was healed, the man who was healed, and the Pharisees. Then we have Jesus and the Pharisees. So it's hard to put these three episodes under one heading or, or, or one singular outline. So what I want to do is let us just replay the story little by little. And as I do, I want to draw four observations. Four observations. And the reason why is we have seen Jesus heal already. What is it about this healing? What is it about what John sees in John chapter 5? What is it about the response of the Pharisees in this singular episode that could teach us to believe and trust and rely and hope upon Jesus more than we ever would before? So the story goes like this. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now Jesus has been to Jerusalem before. But Jesus has come for a festival. We know he was in Cana of Galilee, and he's come to Jerusalem, and he's come for a festival. We don't know what the festival is, but we know the Jewish people in those days were a part of a great many festivals. And there was one place that you wanted to be during a festival, a religious celebration. It was Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Jesus and the disciples that he had at the time come into Jerusalem and they're walking about Jerusalem and they come to a place, a pool, that in Aramaic is called Bethesda. We are told where this pool was at. It was near the Sheep Gate. How apropos that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world might hang around a place called the Sheep Gate. Now the Sheep Gate, there were many gates in Jerusalem, but the Sheep Gate... It was like your laundry room entrance. If you've got an entrance in our house, we have an entrance from the garage into the laundry room. I can assure you that we don't want you going through that entrance, okay? That's not our best entrance, okay? The front door, even our our patio door is a much better entrance than uh, the laundry room entrance. Now, I will say, Amanda keeps a wonderful laundry room. It is not on her. It is on the hooligans and heathens that are in her house, because I want to be able to go home tonight and not sleep in the laundry room. So he enters the, by the sheep gate. The sheep gate was a utilitarian gate. It was for a purpose. It was so that the sheep, the lambs that were about to be sacrificed, that's where they would enter in the city. So I want you to imagine the sights, the sounds, the smells that are coming into this gate. At this gate is this pool called Bethesda, And at this pool, there's a great multitude of people. Now, John says that the people that are around this pool have a certain similarity to them. They are all what John calls our invalids. They're blind, they're deaf, they're lame, they're paralyzed. Now, why would all these people uh, gather around this pool? Because John says that there was some healing that took place. John doesn't deny the healing that takes place. We don't understand why those healings were taking place. In fact, it is said in many of your Bibles in a footnote that an angel would come once a year, stir up the water. So I want you to picture you pressing the button on your jacuzzi, the the bubbles start flowing up, okay? 
And when that happened, that was the time that if you had an issue, if you had a condition, you were running in or, or getting someone to take you into the water because there was an opportunity that the first one in might receive healing from the ailment that they had. This guy that Jesus meets for 38 years seemingly has been waiting at this pool each and every year for the opportunity for someone to help him get into the pool when the bubbles started so that he would be healed. What John is trying to communicate is that this is a hopeless situation. We have helpless people who have zero to little hope that their ailments or struggles are going to be taken care of. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus comes in and he meets up with a guy and he talks to one individual, this man, this 38-year paralytic man. He has a conversation. His question is a little odd. Do you want to be well? Of course he wants to be well. But Jesus is digging deeper into this man. And so he asks this question and and the man says, I don't have anybody. He gives an excuse. I, I would be well if someone would help me, but I don't have anybody to help me. So I'm in this hopeless and helpless situation. And Jesus says, listen, get up, pick up your mat and walk and you'll be healed. You're healed. And in a Jerusalem second, it happens And what you would think would happen after that is that the man would put on his Jesus jersey. This man would get Jesus' autograph on the mat. Can you autograph my mat? Nothing. Jesus leaves. The guy doesn't even know who healed him or who helped him with his issue. Jesus meets up with him again. But by the way, in between that, you got the Keystone cops who show up. They're the guys with the clipboards and the red pens. And they're looking and going, okay. Uh, excuse me, sir, uh, you once were a paralytic and now you're not. Uh, what happened here? I was healed. Well, that happened on the Sabbath. That's strike one. You, uh, sir, you know that you can't pick up your mat and walk. Well, you know I just got healed. I, I didn't want, the guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. Well, we need to get to that in a moment, but, but that's strike two. Now tell me about this man. And they say, I don't know who he is. And then it says later in the temple, Jesus meets up with this man. Jesus knows exactly who this guy is, even though the guy doesn't. And Jesus reveals who he is. Jesus says, listen, now that you've been healed, go and and, and sin no more. The idea here is maybe what caused him his paralysis in the first place was foolish living, reckless living. Whatever it was, Jesus is saying, don't keep doing what got you in this initial situation. You would again think that there would be thanks, there would be applause, there would be all manner of things, but that's not what happens. This guy, I mean, talk about a piece of work. This guy goes and says, now I know, Keystone Cops, who healed me, and he turns Jesus in. Crazy, okay? So then the Keystone Cops come back in with their clipboards, red pens, and they say, Jesus, why did you do this? Jesus says, listen, it's my family business to heal people, but don't you know, Jesus, you're not supposed to help people walk who have been paralyzed for 38 years. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. So there's strike one, and Jesus says, well, listen, I'm doing my father's work. Well, who's your father? Our God in heaven. That's strike two. And by the way, not only am I the son of God, but I am God. Strike three, don't let everybody ever tell you that Jesus never said he was God. Right there, look in your text, black and white, Jesus says, I am equal with the God of the universe. I am God. And you notice what they say? When the Pharisees get you on three strikes, there's no passing go, 
There is him going to jail for a little time. Notice the text says they wanted to kill him because he was a blasphemer and because he healed on the Sabbath. Incredible episode. So we've seen it now. We saw it with our own eyes. I've retold you the story. What in the world does John want us to draw from this? Four observations that I want us to think through. Observation number one. Observation number one, as we look at this text, what is John wanting to reveal to us? Number one, he wants us to stop bragging, to stop boasting about how put together we are because we are a broken and beaten up people. What we are seeing is a microcosm of what God sees every day from his throne in heaven as he looks down upon us. Pride, arrogance, Self-absorption says, I would not have been at the pool called Bethesda because I'm not a broken person. My arms work, my legs work, I don't have voices in the back of me, I'm not all messed up like my neighbor is, like my kid is, like my parents are, like my friend is. I am put together, I've got no dysfunction, I'm not weird, I would not have been there. Well, You may think you wouldn't be there, but God says about you and me that we're all broken. Listen to me. Get this into your skulls as I need to get it into my skull. We are all broken. We are broken because the Bible says things went terribly wrong in the garden. Adam and Eve rebelled against a holy God, and because of that, they incurred the due consequence and penalty for their sin. They didn't need to be that way. They could have communed with God. They could have had open fellowship with God, but they chose, and and we didn't just go along for that ride. We joined in with them and said, yes, just as was imputed upon us, we, when we had our opportunity, have rebelled against God, and we have experienced the due penalty for our sin, and what it is is we who were whole, we who, as John Milton said in his classic, who had paradise, lost it. And now we live in this life. We live in these broken vessels called bodies. We are broken physically, and so we look around, and there are people, and there are many of us, and it just wait, by the way, as, as I get to 45, now I'm starting to understand why my father made groans and moans when he'd get out of a chair. It made total sense to me now. Our bodies are decaying. And we've got ailments and we've got struggles and that's why we've got hospitals. Hospitals should be a reminder that we are a broken people. We're broken emotionally. We have uh, broken feelings. We deal with anxieties and depressions. We deal with all manner of issues within our emotions because we are broken because of sin. We're broken relationally. We fight with one another. We divorce our spouses. We, We fight with our children. We murder other people. We speak ill of others because relationally we are broken. We look at a world that's so confused right now and it doesn't take us long to see sexually we are a broken people. We are broken in every way, shape, or form and the greatest break that we have is that we are spiritually broken. We are fighters and enemies from the God who created us. 
And so we're going about, and God looks down at his creation, and just as Jesus looked at the pool of Bethesda with a great multitude of hurting and ailing people, God looks down at this place, this building, in this moment, and he doesn't see some who are broken and some who are put together. He sees every one of us, including your preacher, broken and far off from God. And what John has said over and over again is Jesus is on a journey to save us. So he comes into this broken world, into this broken place, and he comes and he speaks to you. And he engages you personally, one-on-one, and he has a conversation. And Jesus' conversation with every one of us in this place today is, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And your answer can be yes, what do I have to do to be well? Or no, leave it alone, mind your own business. Many of people, the Bible says many, a great multitude of people will say thanks, but no thanks to Jesus getting involved in the hurts and pains and brokenness. And so what people do is they fill their lives looking for the answer. Now, it's kind of easy to mock a group of people who sit around a pool for an entire year waiting for that moment where the bubbles are going to start to flow, that when you get into the water, you might be healed. But how many of us have spent times, hours, and money searching for answers to what ails us most? Never thinking that Jesus might be the answer. We must recognize this morning that we will never see our need for a Savior until we see that we are truly broken without him. And so we need to humble ourselves and be honest and say, that person that Jesus is meeting with, that has no hope, who is helpless, who's laying on his mat, that's me. I'm the paralyzed guy. I'm the guy who cannot address my greatest need, and now Jesus is standing right there. And this is observation number two. Jesus alone, Jesus alone has the power to address my most persistent problem. So this man, his most persistent problem, talk about a nagging problem, he could not walk for 38 years. It defined who he was, It defined his place in the world. It defined whether he would have a job or not, whether he'd have friends or not. Every part of his life, the the wheel of his life, centered around the hub of being a paralytic. And everything flowed from the spokes of his life. Every element was touched by that hub of paralysis. So let me ask you this morning, in your wheel of life, what problem touches every part of your life? What anxiety, what depression, what abuse that happened to you uh, when you were younger, uh, what relational conflict, what financial issue, what struggle do you wake up with pleading that the Lord would take away from you, pleading for an answer? Whatever that problem is, no matter what that problem is, listen to me, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's meeting Jesus, looking deep into Jesus's eyes, and seeing that Jesus is the one who can address that problem. So let's talk about this, because you're like, wait a minute, Tim, you're throwing down cards that I'm not sure I agree with, all right? 
So, Jesus comes. He sees a great multitude of hurting people. He addresses one. I need your help, okay? You're going to talk during church. It's okay. I want you to do some math. Multitude, great number of people, a crowd of people. We are told the crowd is full of invalids, broken, disabled people. Jesus heals how many? Help me out. How many does Jesus heal of that group? Thank you. One. She's awake. All right. One. Do some math for me. Multitude minus one equals what? Multitude. Still got a great number of people who are hurting and broken. You say to me, Tim, You're saying that Jesus has the power to deal with my most persistent issue. You don't know. Who do you think you are, Tim? You have no idea the tears I've cried. You have no idea the amount of therapy I've received. You have no idea the pain and sorrow. I hate myself for this problem. I've pleaded with God for this problem to be gone. You don't have any idea how much I wish I could be that guy. Well, let me help you understand something. Jesus shows us that he has the power in a nanosecond to heal whatever's been bothering you. This is what John has done. This guy for 38 years has had a problem. Jesus deals with it in one 38th millionth of a second. He goes from being paralyzed to a twinkling of an eye, no longer paralyzed, able to walk. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus can address. And he does. Now you say, wait a minute, why him? Jesus shows us two ways in this text how he heals. Number one, spontaneously. Spontaneously. The guy goes from being a paralytic to being able to walk. I want you to know, don't consign that type of healing to the pages of Scripture. If God can do that then, then God can do that today. Okay? Don't get into these things, well, God doesn't operate that way anymore. Listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has the right to do whatever he wants, when he wants, and that's usually why we call them miracles, right? And so I want you to pray that God would perform a miracle in your life, because that would be something awesome, right? This is an awesome event that takes place. But let's recognize that, yes, in John 5, Jesus heals. But let's notice all of Scripture that there's a second way that Jesus addresses the persistent problems in our life. And you know what he does? He allows us to suffer. He allows us to suffer. Now you're like, wait a minute, I'll take option A. Spontaneous healing. And nobody would ever say, you know, uh, we've got two options here, sir. You got option A, be healed in a twinkle of an eye, or option B, uh, a horrific and long-term disability that will not allow you to move forward in life in any way, but you're going to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What do you want there, sir? Well, give me, Bob, option two, long-term suffering. I'll take that. Of course we wouldn't say that. But what we need to recognize is a great many people weren't healed. We know in Jesus' ministry that it was very uncommon for Jesus ever to heal everybody when he was entering into a city. That meant that there were people begging and screaming, Jesus, heal me, heal me. And Jesus didn't do those things. 
In fact, one of the greatest followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, had a persistent problem. And you know what he said? Notice the the text on the screen. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this problem, that it should leave me. I wanted it gone. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to imagine it's so bad you want it to be gone. Paul says, I prayed three times for it to go. And you know what God said to me? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what does he do? Paul says, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So right now, you as a broken person, me as a broken person, have not been healed completely. And you're wondering why. And you're getting angry at God. God, why did you make me this way? God, why did you allow this to happen to me? God, 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 all of these questions. And God's sitting there saying, this suffering is going to humble you. This suffering is going to make you holy. And this suffering is going to make you hungry for the day that one day you will be made whole. And it's going to move us to greater faithfulness and obedience. Now, the guy gets healed spontaneously. And you would have thought he would have done everything in his power to make it known that Jesus was the one. And he doesn't. Why? What lesson can we learn here? Third observation. The third observation that I want you to see is that it's common to care more about our comfort than Christ. You see, this guy... His life centered on being paralyzed, and redemption for him was no longer to be paralyzed. It was a temporal redemption. For some of us, we're looking to Jesus for temporal redemption. Jesus, I'm following you, so you'll take care of this. Jesus, I'm obeying you, so you'll take care of that. A great many people will walk into this church, and they'll seek for God to alleviate the problem they have, and when good things start happening for them, you don't see them at church anymore. It happens. When everything's going well, and then when things fall apart, they're calling the pastor, they're calling their small group, and I know I haven't been around for a while, but, but all hell is breaking loose in my world, and, and I need Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and he addresses your problem, and then, okay, now I can get back to what I was doing. This guy had his temporal issue covered, and he went on with his life. He cared more about his comfort than he did about experiencing and knowing Christ. Could that be said of us? Could it be that in this journey, we're more concerned with Jesus making us comfortable than making us Christ-like? This man is going to, and think about this, this man who came face-to-face with Jesus was one day going to die, and he was going to stand before the Lord. I want you to notice John uses a word all throughout. In fact, it's the most used word in all of the Gospel of John. It's the word believed. I mean, he just wants to plaster that wherever he can. And they believed, and she believed, and he believed, and believed, and believed, and believed, and believed. He just loved it. Like he got a whole tub at Sam's Club of the word believed, and he just plastered it anywhere he could. Notice that nowhere in our text does it say he believed. So this man who was comforted temporally by Jesus, would stand before Jesus on the day of his death. 
Think about what I just said. He would stand and he would walk up to Jesus and Jesus would say, depart from me. I never knew you. Some of us are choosing to use Jesus as our comforter in temporal things instead of being our savior, not only here, but in the life to come. And that is a big problem because we will miss out on the greater work that Jesus was gonna do. The greater work that Jesus did would, could do in the man's life was not make him well so he could walk, but make that which was dead alive in Christ. That's the greater miracle. Now, this is where it makes it difficult. My fourth observation comes from what happens after he gets tattled on. And what the, the Pharisees do is they start looking at their rule book. Even though it's not the rule book of God, they start adding to the scriptures and adding to the law of Moses. And there's this truth that we'll learn about because what is beginning to happen, this is the first real mention of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it's just going to continue to grow, 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 grow. And we're going to address it more and more. But what they said was the good things that God was doing in a man's life was bad. And sometimes we think the very things that are good that God is doing are bad things. We excuse suffering and hardship because they say those are bad things. And we make new rules. The whole Sabbath thing was that man didn't like God's rules, and so they made up their own. What rules are you making up when it comes to your own suffering, your own problems, your own situation that you've added to the Bible, and you said, God, if you're going to work, you're going to work according to my rules, not yours. And so they had this whole religious system of how God had to work around them instead of them working in and with God. So let's, let's bring all this together and hopefully try to tie it up with a bow. Here's the truth that I want you to walk away from. Jesus Christ has come and he has done an amazing work in your life. He has come and he has chosen you. He has picked you out of a crowd and he's having a singular conversation with you and he's asking you today, do you want to be well? And we've got one of two things to do. Yes, Jesus, I want to be well. Heal me. And in doing so, I will give you all the glory. I will give you all the praise. I will walk And I will live life according to your ways because without you I was nothing and with you now I have opportunity. Or when Jesus asks that question, do you want to get well? Will you start running Jesus through the gamut of all the things that he didn't do right according to your rules, that he didn't address this, he didn't take care of that, and we start building a case against Jesus, and we start blaming Jesus for our problems, and we start saying, this one who has offered me salvation, I want him dead. I don't want him in my life. You see, what John is doing is he's showing us in 18 verses Humanity, those who will believe and be healed and those who will not believe and will fight the rest of their lives against the one that God has sent to save him. Now, let me close with this. 
John is giving us another picture and it's an encouragement to those who find themselves not spontaneously healed. And it's a reminder that Jesus has come in. So you've got your issues, you've got your struggles, and they're persistent. They're not going away. Let me remind you of the great hope of the Christian faith. The great hope of the Christian faith isn't, it is not. Don't ever get this in your mind. If I allow Jesus into my life, he'll take care of all of my problems in this world. No, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So maybe Jesus hasn't healed you from your most persistent problem that you have. The great Christian hope is there is a day coming. Blessed be the name of the Lord that there is a day coming in the twinkling of an eye when you and I will be changed where you and I will no longer shed tears, we will no longer have issues and struggles, hurts and pains, sorrows. Jesus says in that twinkling of an eye, the old will be gone and the new will have arrived. And on that great and glorious day, we will be as God intended for us to be, full and whole and abundant and vibrant and healthy and all of the things that we worry about today will be a foregone memory because the one who promised is faithful. And one day, that struggle that has defined your life will no longer be an issue. And the one who says he's got it taken care of is Jesus. Do you believe in him? So let's do work with our God and let's ask questions of our God and wrestle with that God. But let's get to a point where we say, without God, I am lost. And God, I need you not only now, but on that great and glorious day when you're going to make me whole.